Proverbs 16, verse 32, Proverbs 25, verse 28, and Titus 2, 11 to 14. So we'll start with the first one. 16, verse 32 says, Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. And 25 verse 28, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. And Titus 2 verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Well, good morning. Uh, thank you for having me again. Uh, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity over the last month to uh, come and join you and to have Etienne uh, join us in Alveston. Uh, it's a great thing to be able to celebrate our partnership together, um, and it's been a great blessing for us as well to have to write a couple of less sermons in a month. So thank you. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we are going to open up uh, this topic of self-control. So let me pray, and we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, your word is such a good and rich gift uh, for us. We thank you that not only do you reveal uh, yourself so clearly in it, but also you teach us uh, what it means to live as your people in relationship with you. Uh, help us to see that clearly this morning. Uh, help us to give thanks for what we see. Uh, help us to be humble and submit ourselves to your guiding as we read it in your word today. In Jesus, our Saviour's name we pray. Amen. Uh, in Greek mythology, there's this group of creatures, you may have heard of them, uh, called the Sirens. Uh, the Sirens live on rocky islands out in the sea, uh, and whenever a boat comes to the Sirens' islands, uh, they sing this, this song, and it's a beautiful song, an irresistible song. And anyone who hears it, any sailor coming past who hears this song, uh, can't resist it. As soon as they hear it, they either want to sail their ship directly towards it or jump overboard and swim there. And so anyone who hears the siren's song either drowns uh, or is shipwrecked on the siren's islands. I don't know why they do that. Um, I'm not sure what they get out of it, but that's what the sirens did. They were, they were very dangerous. Now, in one of the, the stories uh, of Greek mythology, the, the great hero Odysseus, uh, very smart guy, very clever guy, he had to sail past the sirens. Uh, risky thing, but he knew the dangers. He was pre-warned. So Odysseus came up with a plan. He said, uh, we can sort this, we can survive this. And so he got all the wax that he had on board his boat and he plugged the ears of his sailors with the wax. They were, got these earplugs so they couldn't hear a thing. 
But see, Odysseus didn't want that for himself. Odysseus wanted to hear what the sirens sounded like. He, he wanted to hear this beautiful song. So rather than plugging his own ears, he had his sailors take rope uh, and tie him to the mast and he gave them strict commands that no matter what he said or did or happened, they were to completely ignore him. And so they, they sailed uh, past the sirens. The, the sailors couldn't hear a thing, whereas Odysseus, tied to the mast, heard their song. Uh, it called to him and he struggled. This, this urge to throw himself overboard and swim to the sirens was, was so powerful and he fought and he was in terrible pain and yet his crew just ignored him. And they sailed past and they made it by the sirens safely uh, with Odysseus somewhat worse for wear for the experience. Now I think sometimes uh, we approach self-control in a similar way to Odysseus and the sirens. We see it as a painful thing, uh, as a difficult thing, something that pre prevents us perhaps from things that could be fun or things that could be entertaining or things that could be good. We live in a world that sees self-control through very dim eyes. You know, Our society encourages us to instead go out and find ourselves, to gain whatever experience could be had, to be self-fulfilled. And so self-control is seen as an outdated obstacle for things that could be right and good for us. So why bother bothering with self-control? Well, as you may have noted in the verses that Proverbs, uh, from Proverbs that we read just a moment ago, Proverbs disagrees with our world. Uh, Proverbs says not only is self-control not a bad thing, self-control is actually a very good thing for us. In fact, Proverbs tells us that self-control is essential to wise living. If you want to live wisely, if you want to live well, then you need to have self-control. Why is it so good? Uh, how can we get self-control wisely? Well, thankfully, Proverbs tells us exactly how. And that's what we're going to see together this morning from these two verses. Uh, if you read through the book of Proverbs, you'll see that Proverbs talks about self-control uh, relatively often. It talks about why you need it, uh, situations you need it, where you might need it in your life. But it's far more rare that Proverbs actually tells us much about self-control itself. There's really only two verses, which just so happens to be the two verses that we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, and the first is there in Proverbs 16.32. Let me just read it again. Better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. Uh, the word there is uh, the word self-control, um, more literally than, than just control. Uh, what is that self-control? Well, if you look at the way, if you were to translate it utterly literally, it is literally rules or overcomes his spirit. So if we're going to understand, understand what self-control actually is, what it, what it, how we could describe it, it is that. It is to rule or it is to overcome your spirit, or as we might understand, overcome yourself. Uh, so if we were to put that, that proverb into slightly different words, we might read it like this. Uh, better than one who conquers a city is he who conquers self. That is what self-control is. That is what wise, right self-control is. To conquer, to overcome yourself. But how? 
Uh, it's all well and good to know that. How do we do that? It's, I mean, it seems so out of reach, doesn't it? Who could say that they are in control of themselves always? Who, who can say that they overcome themselves? Uh, it seems the impossible task, doesn't it? Uh, Tim Keller writes this in one of his books. He says, There are too many examples of world beaters who won prizes or literally conquered nations, but who could not control their tempers, their tongues, or their emotions. And if we look at uh, famous figures throughout history, we see that, don't we? Uh, look at someone like Tiger Woods, who could conquer golf, but not his lusts. Look at Amy Winehouse, who beat the music world, but not her addictions. O.J. Simpson, who ruled the football field, but not his temper. And, and we could go on, couldn't we? People who have achieved marvellous things, but still were not able to control themselves. And in fact, that's what Proverbs is suggesting here. Not only is self-control better than conquering a city, it's actually harder. It is harder to control ourselves than it is to go out and take an entire city. So how? How do we do it then if it is so hard? Is this just an, a, a hopeless task? Well, I, I don't think so. The Bible doesn't set hopeless tasks before us. But what is clear is if we are going to rule ourselves, if we are going to overcome ourselves, then we can't simply play at a surface level. We need to go deeper. We need to go a lot deeper. Uh, I have a, a love-hate relationship when it comes to weeding our garden with the kids. Um, on the one hand, I love it. Our kids are, are three and one, just to put that in context. On the one hand, I love it because it's awesome to spend time with them. It's fun to muck around and uh, working with them is really rewarding. It's, it's very enjoyable. But on the other hand, I hate it because our kids are terrible at weeding. They are absolutely atrocious. For, for our kids, weeding is grabbing the leaves, ripping them off, throwing in the, in the bucket and proudly saying, Daddy, I did it! And he's saying, no, you, you didn't. You definitely didn't. Uh, because all the roots are left behind. Uh, and you and I know that what happens then is, very quickly, the weeds spring straight back up and you're doing it again. It is immensely frustrating. And the same is true of our lives. Uh, often when we approach self-control, we think straight away about dealing with symptoms, uh, dealing with things that we do, actions or words or thoughts. But if that's all we ever do, we're really just pulling off leaves. Soon enough, the problem will rear its head again. We need to go deeper. We need to go far deeper. We can't just address our actions. We need to address our hearts. Well, how? How do we do that? Well, what we need is what is at the heart of the book of Proverbs. Uh, I said it when I was here a couple of weeks ago. I'll say it again. The, the motto of the book of Proverbs, the, the key message of the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we are going to live wisely, if we are going to live well, we need that God-centered approach that not only starts with him but rests upon him every step of the way. How does that help us? Well, it helps us because God has promised big things to us. Ezekiel 36, 26, he says to his people that a day is coming when I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. See, God has promised he is going to do something deep. He is going to do something radical. He is going to change the hearts of his people, not just their actions, but what's inside them. 
And we read from Titus uh, just before, and we see there that what God promised back there in Ezekiel, he has delivered already. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all to redeem us from all wickedness and purify. See, God has made a way to go far below the surface, to dig far deeper than our symptoms, in fact, to go straight to our hearts. And so we see then, wise living self-control rests on the fear of the Lord. Its basis, its start, its entirety is in what God has done for his people in Jesus, his Saviour. In Jesus, there is hope for us to conquer ourselves. In Jesus, there is hope that we can practice wise self-control, but that is never apart from Jesus. Without him, we might win battles in self-control, but we will lose the war. Whereas with him, we might lose battles, but he has already won the war for us. When we accept our need for him, when we trust his death in our place, we are forgiven and he does deep heart surgery on us. He gives us a new heart, uh, a heart of flesh that can live again. Not only does he redeem us from death, redeem us from our futile ways of life, but he purifies us and he restores us. So if you look at yourself, if you see failings, repeated habits that you hate, weaknesses that you don't like, don't fight them without him. Because true self-control begins with Jesus and continues with Jesus. Uh, if you try to fight this battle without him, there are only two ways that you will end up. You will only end up either in pride or in despair. You may end up in pride uh, fighting without him because you may begin to beat whatever you're fighting against. And when that happens, you might become satisfied with yourself. You might become glad for how well you're proceeding. And as Proverbs tells us, pride comes before a fall. You land hard, start again, and continue forever. You will end up in pride, or you may end up in despair, because you will find you just cannot make ground against whatever you're fighting. You never start winning. You fight and fight and fr get frustrated and more and more frustrated. And you, you feel hopeless. You know, if I can't beat this, then what hope is there for me in anything else? There is no wise, lasting self-control apart from Jesus. But with him and with him alone, there is. Because he gives you the start. He gives you the way to go on that you need desperately. He gives you a new heart. And because you have a new heart in him, there is hope for self-control. Because real and lasting change is possible. Your old heart made of stone is gone and your new heart is alive. It is able to grow and change, not to be stuck forever in its ways, but day by day being renewed by his power at work in us. Not only is there hope that self-control is possible, but in him there is grace, too, in learning self-control. Grace that reminds us when we slip up, and we will, it's not immediately back to square one to start again and begin to earn favour again. No, that's not how it works. Failure doesn't ruin us, for in Jesus God has forgiven us. Uh, our pasts, our present, 
and our future failings as well. It is all wiped clean in him. Grace has covered it all. There is hope, there is confidence, and there is where self-control is built, on Jesus and on Jesus alone. But how do we start that building project? Uh, If Jesus has overcome our old, if he has made us new, if self-control, self-rule is in fact possible, then what do we do? How do we go about this project? Well, that's where the second verse we read helps us. Uh, Proverbs 25, 28. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. The first thing this proverb does is it tells us how self-control works. It says self-control for a person is like a city wall. Uh, Imagine a city uh, without a city wall. That city is defenseless. I mean, got to rewind your minds a bit. We don't build city walls anymore, but think of the time when Proverbs was written. That city is defenseless. You know, anyone can waltz on into that city. They can take what they want. They can do what they want. That city has no barrier. It has no prevention to, to stop that happening. It is utterly vulnerable. And that is what it is to lack self-control. Now, to that, our world says, great. You know, tear down those barriers, tear down those walls, and then you can live open to whatever comes your way, whatever opportunity or adventure or growth. There you'll find self-fulfillment. That's good. But what wisdom says is, as nice as that sounds, the opposite is true. In tearing down self-control, there's not opportunity opened up for adventure or growth, but instead for confusion and fear and exploitation and hurt. Yes, it's true. If our world was perfect, we wouldn't need self-control. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need it. But we are not, and neither is our world. And self-control is like a wall that defends us against what might hurt. Because if it is, uh, if lacking self-control is to be like a city without walls, then to have self-control is to have a wall, to have a guard or a protection, something to stand between us and things that will hurt us or influence us badly or exploit us. Self-control guards us, but not only guards us, like a city wall, it enables us to live confidently and well too. It leads to strength, it leads to safety, it leads to security. It helps us to live well. It is good for us. So we want to build that wall. We want to grow our self-control. We want to develop it. Uh, But we need to do that well. We need to do it uh, wisely. We need to do it thoroughly. Uh, We hear lots today in our world about uh, cyber security. It's obviously a massive issue for not only individuals but businesses as well. And it's an industry into which enormous amounts of money and time, etc., are invested. But still, uh, attacks come. Um, I read uh, the other day of uh, Target in the United States. Um, Target lost $162 million as a result of a cyber attack on them. Uh, It wasn't that they didn't have a great system that invested millions of dollars and hundreds of hours into building a great uh, cyber security system. The problem was their employees were using weak passwords. Uh, Password one was very common in Target in the United States, apparently. And it cost them $162 million. See, it is all well and good to have uh, a great and big and expensive system, but if there is a flaw, 
it's an issue. It can be fatal. It can lead to disaster. And that's not just true for cybersecurity. It is true for our self-control as well. Uh, Tim Keller wrote this, a lack of self-control, even in just one area of life, is a life-threatening problem. Isn't that a nice thing to, to hear? Just one flaw and you are at grave danger. Doesn't that just sound like it puts self-control even further out of our reach? I mean, who can possibly be that well-guarded? Who can possibly look at all of their life at once? It, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? How do we do that? How do we really build that sort of thorough self-control in every corner of our lives? Well, we do it by realising we are not alone. We do it by realising we're not alone. Because see, not only has Jesus made self-control possible by giving us a new heart, he has also made it doable by sending his helper to take residence in our hearts. He has given us his Holy Spirit. Do you remember the fruit of the Spirit? Uh, if you did Sunday school as a kid, you'll probably know the song, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, and then we forget what the rest of them are. But we know what it ends. It ends self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And there it is. There's the reminder we need, isn't it? There's the, the promise of help. See, we're not alone in building self-control. We're not alone in trying to grow it because Jesus has sent His Spirit and the fruit He bears is exactly that. The Spirit is here to help us grow self-control, to build it in our lives. So, so how do we do that? How do we work with the Spirit to grow self-control well, we do it by using the means he uses. We build it by using the means that he uses, that he builds with. Uh, recently, we, we built a new house. Um, I was reflecting, that's kind of a strange way to actually describe what happened because I didn't build anything, which is a good thing. <laughs> Let's be honest, that's a really good thing. Uh, I didn't cut any timber. I didn't drive any nails. I didn't even pick up a single tool. I didn't even pick up the broom to clean the site. So how did we build the site? How do we build the house? Well, we employed means, didn't we? We employed a draftsman to draw up our plans. We employed a surveyor to lay out the site. We employed a builder to build the house and so on and so forth. I didn't do it, but we say we built it. And we did so using means. And so it is when it comes to building self-control. We use means. And in them, walk step in step with the Spirit. So what are those means? Well, they're very simple. The Word. Uh, the Bible calls it the, uh, the, the Spirit's sword. The, the Word keeps us grounded in grace. Uh, it keeps reminding us of the good news of forgiveness and life and hope in Jesus. It keeps showing us Him and reminding us that self-control is possible in Him. But not only does the Word teach us about Jesus and bring us back to Him continually, the, world sh the Word shows us ourselves. It shows us ourselves clearly in light of God's standards, not just our own. So, so we use the Word, but we use prayer as well. Because when it comes to growing and building self-control, it's not a, a mechanical process, but a relational one. Uh, and prayer, speaking, is the stuff on which relationships are built. Talking to God, asking for His help, uh, learning humility in leaning in Him and His immense strength. And we use community. 
because God has placed us in a church family for a really good reason. We need each other. Uh, No man is an island, especially when it comes to self-control. And one of the great ways that God works in our lives is using his servants, each other. And so by employing, by pursuing these means, word, prayer, community, by using them, we learn to walk in step with the Spirit. And as we read in Titus, this this grace, this grace of Jesus that the Spirit teaches, uh, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. That is, it teaches us self-control. And by teaching us self-control, it opens us to all the assurance and peace and joy and purpose there is in following Jesus. And so with his work in mind, we build that wall of self-control. It takes self-examination. We need to look at ourselves honestly and openly and examine where we are controlled, where we're not. Maybe it's in the way we speak. Are we self-controlled there? Do we, could we say that we rule our tongues and what comes out of our mouths? Maybe it's in anger. You know, anger itself is not wrong, but when we show anger, are we in control? Or afterward, are we filled with regret and thinking about things that we wish we hadn't said or hadn't done? Are we able to keep work in its place? Or do we find that work invades our homes? Or our family time, or our holiday. You know, I've heard every justification under the sun. I'm the only one who can do it. It must be. But is there self-control? Are we placing boundaries around our work? What about the way we use technology? Do you rule your phone? Or does it rule you? The things you watch online or on TV, the things you allow yourself to see, would you be happy for others to know that you are seeing them? We could go on, you know. Time in gaming, the the amounts or what uh, sorts of things we're eating, what we're drinking. Are we practicing self-control? Are we saying no? Or are we indulging our appetites? Where is our control weak? Where is it that we lapse? And so we do this not just as an exercise to beat ourselves up. We do this uh, not just to say, you know, that's that's my weakness. I'm going to forever be that way. I'll, I'll focus on my strength instead. No, we do this in order to help ourselves uh, avoid those things. You know, what are the things that trigger us? What are the situations that we find hard? What are some alternatives that we could pursue? You know, the, the, the classic triggers, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. All things that make it hard for us to practice self-control, that, that erode our control. Know what sets yourself off. Uh, and recognize when you're feeling that and be alert to it. What about the situations you put yourself in? Uh, we, porn is, is very rarely an issue when we're in a crowd of people. It's, it's an alone thing. Be aware of that. But on the other hand, sometimes when we're with lots of other people, it's far easier for us to lose control of our tongues. And so we need to be aware of that. When we're alone at home, no one knows what we're eating or drinking or watching. We need to be aware of that temptation, that, that situation that tests our self-control. We need to think hard about alternatives. Uh, the Bible tells us numerous times to flee what is wrong, what is harmful to us. And that's not just an exaggeration, it's not hyperbole, it's actually just a great suggestion. Running away is a good thing. 
Running away is a good thing. Find an alternative. Put yourself in a place where self-control is easier. Uh, if, if porn or watching questionable things is more tempting when you're alone or tired or bored, find something better. Uh, text a friend. Go out and do some exercise. Um, if alcohol's an issue, don't even have it in the house, not even for guests. It's better than inviting the temptation. If there are certain foods that are an issue, don't buy them. If having your phone on your bedside table is a difficulty, put it on your desk. And we could go on. I mean, there's not one rule for all of us. We need each to be thinking hard about the situations, that we, we, we can, the, the strategies that we can build to help us practice self-control. We're not trying to, build it, uh, to beat ourselves up here, but we're trying to build ourselves up and each other as well. Knowing that this is the wise path to the life that God intends for us to leave, uh, lead, knowing that we are saved in Jesus and forgiven even when we do fall, and knowing that his spirit lives in us and gives us power for this task. Here's what Romans 8 verse 11 says. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. If the spirit is powerful to raise Jesus from the dead, then that same spirit who lives in us is powerful to work life in and through us. That is the good news of the gospel. Uh, and An old theologian, um, John uh, Berridge, I, I think, he wrote this, a, a little poem. Uh, Run, John, and work, the law commands, yet finds me neither ha feet nor hands. But sweeter news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and lends me wings. Uh, we started with Odysseus who uh, avoided the, the sirens by great effort by uh, wax and ropes and really just a lot of hard work, uh, painful work and risky work. But another sailor also went past the sirens and survived to tell the story and his name was Orpheus. Uh, he didn't use wax, he didn't get himself tied uh, to the mast, uh, he didn't make physical efforts to try and close the ears of his sailors no, what Orpheus did was something better. Orpheus was a famous musician and he simply played a more beautiful song. Instead of his sailors hearing the song of the sirens, Orpheus filled their ears with a better song, compared to which the sirens seemed dull and uninteresting. And we have a better song, a far better music than anything in the world, a song of grace a song of mercy, a song of a saviour who shed his own blood to forgive us. Listen to that song, learn its melody, be glad in it, fill your ears with it, and you will find that self-control follows closely behind. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, may you fill our ears with the better music of the gospel. May the beauty of Jesus' love and sacrifice uh, fill our hearts and minds and drown out anything that the world tempts us or sings to us. Father, day by day, may your grace uh, teach us to say no to the things around us that would harm us or that would lead us astray. Instead, help us to walk uh, in step with your spirit, uh, his power helping us 
that we would grow self-control. Father, may we learn to live wisely in this world, saying no to the things that are harmful to us, saying enough to the things that we might be tempted to overindulge in. And instead, may your grace shape us that we would live wisely as you've intended us to do for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.